0: Okay, it's great to be here in the home of Rami and Rula Taleb. They live in a, a little village called Ramele, which is on the north side of um, the city of Saida, or Sidon would be the biblical word for it. Uh, it's in the south of Lebanon, about 30-45 minutes south of Beirut. And um, I've known Rami since 2005 when he came to Belfast, and was part of our one of our Youth with a Mission uh, reconciliation-focused discipleship courses, um, and at the end of his year, he was due to go home, but uh, that was 2006, and Israel had bombed Lebanon, and the airport was bombed, and he couldn't get home. <laughs> so he he ended up staying in Belfast for a lot longer, and one thing led to another, and he stayed for five years. And towards the end of that time, he married his wonderful wife Rula, and that's and then 2010, they moved back here to Lebanon, and uh, and they've gradually seen their ministry grow based on what they did in Belfast, but it's expanded much more than that. Um, and so I want to spend uh, some time talking to these guys. there. are uh, really good friends, but also amazing people, and they have a lot to say to the world, not just about Lebanon, but about the world. Um, so I'm going to ask each of them maybe just to give a bit of an introduction what was their early childhood like growing up in the civil war in lebanon uh, just to remind everyone the civil war in lebanon was 1975 to 1990 um, and that was the kind of context in which they grew up so we'll start with you rami so obviously. yeah
1: thank you johnny pleasure to have you always and it's been an amazing journey together since we've been in belfast together and uh me learning and growing on how to be a peacemaker right so So, I'm Lebanese, but also my father is Syrian, and uh, my father also a Muslim, and my mom is Christian. So, there's already a lot of conflict just in my inner family uh, itself. And I grew up in Lebanon uh, during the Civil War, and it was a harsh time, you know, like in Lebanon there is like there's no down basements or shelters. There's only the building that you live in, and then you go to the bottom of the building and you try to cover yourself there. And I remember living in in uh, living in Beirut under the bombing. We're always being in that place, and uh, uh, there's that kind of fear, you know. There's that kind of. Uh, 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 hopelessness and at the same time the unknown. What gonna happen? whats gonna happen? You know. And but praise God, like things stopped and uh, like the civil war ended around nineteen uh, uh, around nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety one, and uh, things started to be changed. But it left the country and like broken. It was buildings were destroyed. People, economics was destroyed. Everything was just like. Like a mess Mm.
0: Okay And then uh, And you lived in a house With your family Um, In terms of your own Childhood What was very um, Significant in your life Was your own The family dynamics Of your Your father and mother Would you like to share About that
1: Yeah so Obviously because Like my family are Like uh, Like my dad is Muslim And my mom is Lebanese And Syrian And Lebanese as well it affected the whole relationship with the family because, like, neither my mom side of the family expected, accepted my dad side of the family and other and other same. And because of that, I never uh, learned. I never know my grandparents or my aunts or uncles. I only knew my or my small family, which is my dad, my mom, and my sister and my brother. And uh, uh, to see sometimes how much. Prejudice, ethnic prejudice, or, or race prejudice against people, it affect, uh, uh, it, it affects us on a personal level, you know. And for a kid like me, not to grow with uh, family, I don't, I don't. I didn't experience playing with cousins. I didn't experience playing with people. And also because I was like a dispar- this kid that have all these things in my family, it wasn't easy to make friends. Only I only had one friend or two friends that ex- ex- accepted me as I am uh, because of my family background. Because mm. back then you stuck to your
0: tribes, Your your the people of your own Religion or whatever, so you were kind of the odd one out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, should, Rula, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Then, like, you had a different, very different childhood than Rami. You were living in a different place, and what what was some of the things that were important in in your early development?
2: Okay, so I was born in 1986 uh, during the civil war, and. Uh, If I want to speak about my childhood, I would describe it as a very hard childhood. Why? Because my dad, um, or my family basically, and my dad was fighting in the war because he was in the army and the army were kind of always in the war fighting somehow, someone or um, so... um, so my dad were fighting in the war and and especially in the year 89 and 90 when the syrian when the syrian um like army came to lebanon um, he was from the last people who or last group of army who were fighting um, and and last for a long time, and then they caught them.
0: So gradually, like different groups, the war was ending for some, but he was in the group that kept fighting to the very end.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, yeah, so basically they caught him and they took him as a hostage. Uh, And during that time, I remember that my mom and my family, or like my mom, me and my brother and my sister, which my brother was maybe like just couple of months old, uh, we were hiding in a basement, but then they told my mom that my dad died. And my mom prepared a funeral. And and, and since then, actually, my mom had um, a problem in her heart that in all my childhood, we never know when my mom got uh, like a, um, uh, what do we say? Sorry. Like she kept like uh cries, not cries. Right. Um
0: like a problem crease? with uh with the yeah, like suddenly she just heartbeat like with the heart.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, suddenly she fall on the floor oh, and like she would cry. Yeah, seizure. Seizure, okay. And and basically my dad wasn't uh he didn't die, but he was kept at a ho- coat as a as a hostage and then he came back home. But you can imagine how that was very hard on him and very hard on our family. My dad came back a very uh, broken man. My dad came back full of hatred and, and resentment and, and no one was there to help him, not even my big family. So they all left us and we stayed as, only as a family. And so the whole time of my childhood my dad was so angry and he always was very violent with us, with my mom. So we grew up really really hard like the whole time which actually end up putting us in boarding school as well Uh, each one separated we were four kids each one separated in a different boarding school and and so on so yeah
0: yeah when i remember meeting him a couple of years ago and he told the story of when he was captured and how he was basically released by i mean he could have been shot right yeah do you do you remember that story yeah yeah what happened there
2: So basically, uh, they caught him, uh, the Syrian army, and they took him.
0: So it's the Syrian army, actually. The Syrian
2: army, yeah. yeah, When they invade Lebanon in uh, in nineteen ninety, basically after the Taif Agreement, Um, so they took him to a place in Lebanon, where there they displaced him to uh, another place in Syria to be in the prisons there, Uh, but then he was. he was the chief of his group so they were asking who's the chief of this group well so he he tell his story that every one of his friends were telling me 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 but no one was actually wow. indicate on him mm. which actually caused for them to die in front of him and then he he sa- he says that they put him to really kind of slaughter him for three times mm. but for somehow like he didn't mm. like it never happened. Mm. And then the Red Cross came, but as well, one of the Syrian army, he was the leader there, he told him, uh, if we have people like you in Syria, Syria would be in a very better way. So he just like, I'm free from your blood. And then he sent him with the Red Cross and the Red Cross actually sent him mm. uh, to the hospital in Lebanon and then back mm. to the family.
0: So he survived. So basically the guy, his cap, uh, cap the guy who's capturing him or holding him hostage was had his life in his hands and chose to release him which I remember when I talked to your dad um that made a big difference on him the sense of he was given a chance to live or something you know um yeah yeah
2: but I remember like the thing is my dad to be honest two days ago I was talking with my dad and I was saying "Dad, what are you still doing because he's still part of a Party, the same party, or like the army split into be a party now in Lebanon. And I was like, That why you are in this party now? Like, why you're still in this party? Um, he said, Like, I'm fighting for a cause, and this cause, I want no one in Lebanon, foreigner, to stay in my country. I don't want either Syrian either other workers uh, to be in Lebanon. Lebanon is for the Lebanese, and that's my cause. And that's why I'm still in this party, because they're fighting against this cause. You can look around your and see the Syrian refugees that is in Lebanon crisis, uh, like the Syrian, like the, Syrian uh, the crisis of the Syrian fa- uh, refugees in Lebanon, and you see no one is asking them to go back to their home except this party. Mm. So like, that's why I'm standing on this coast. Mm. I know what I'm fighting for. Mm. So he's still, until now, like this was his coast before. Mm. We're fighting against every foreigner to come into mm. our country, and now it's the same. It's still mm. the same and mm. he said that I'm just going to continue to do this and I will ask my kids mm. to do this mm. and then this land is for us mm. so it's a very patriot
0: yeah he's he feels very patriotic and uh, yeah I, I suppose for those listening you may not know much about Lebanon but uh, and in these podcasts we're trying to sketch a little bit of the history but uh, from in a nutshell uh, the Lebanese Civil War was very much about rival factions fighting, but then also regional powers siding with the dif- different factions, and then global powers like America, the Soviet Union, them siding with different people. So uh, Lebanon had been the Paris of the Middle East or the Switzerland of the Middle East. It was a beautiful, wealthy country in the late 60s. You see the, if you Google Lebanon in 1960s, you see wealthy people and, um, and so, but suddenly 1975, it descended uh, into war. Part of that was this immigrant population, the Palestinian refugees that had come a hundred years ago, Armenian refugees had come now, Palestinian refugees. And of course they were then trying to attack Israel, which destabilized the country. So I guess uh, there's a whole lot more we could say, but, uh, just to to try to give perspective on what your father was saying he he wants a Lebanon that go, like it was in the 1960s you know he wants a Lebanon that was prosperous and wasn't um uh, yeah it wasn't a sectarian uh place where there were wars going on um and you can in one sense I think it's important to understand where he's coming from you know um but today we were just in a in a tent with syrian refugees who have fled for their life and the other side of the story is now syria is also a a victim and syria is a place where they're fighting wars and so um but it's that's really good to hear both of your stories a little bit um i want to just go on to talk to you rami about how you ended up in northern ireland um and uh and Well, I'll tell people how you ended up there, but then I'd love you to kind of unpack what effect that had on your life. So um, we used to live in the middle of Belfast in the Shankill and the Falls Road, uh, two areas that would be kind of known as the epicenter of the Northern Irish Troubles. And we had a desire to create a Christian community in the middle of those two areas and to offer scholarships to young people from areas of conflict to come and learn about their faith um, to grow in their faith, their Christian faith, and but also to see that reconciliation was central to their faith, um, and so you were the first Lebanese person that we brought to Belfast, and fortunately you stayed for five years. Um, so tell us about that process. How how it, what made you want to come? And yeah, you have to do it quickly, of course. But
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of history there. So just like. You know, like when you grow in a place like there's civil war, there's a lot of conflict. It, it even even uh, you try to move on, but there's a lot of baggage that you still hold on to. Even sometimes subconscious post trauma and trauma that you've been through, that it's there, but you don't even realize that it's there, and. Uh, and as well, like like for a young boy like me, like being in the Civil War, and then there was no schools at that time, and I had to help my family, so I started working when I was twelve. And so in in in, the, in in this time, the only thing that I could think of that I will be uh, like like this is what I am. There's nothing more to me that I could do more than that. And uh, uh, when I get. Uh, when I started going to the youth group uh, Christian youth group, youth group called A2J Addicted to Jesus this is where I met this is where my, my life started to change this is where I started seeing Jesus that uh, that he's part of my life not just not just like the God that is there and he doesn't care and uh, and through that youth group I got the invitation to go to Northern Ireland and to be honest I didn't even I I didn't know what I was expecting. I didn't even know what the word reconciliation anyway means in English at that time. I all what I knew that there was that there was something. God is telling me I should do this. I felt this like really deep of like this is this is the moment that God is actually making something out of it and uh, and I I felt like through prayer that He's really want me to go and praise God, you know, like, I think one small decision like that changed my whole life, you know, like now we are looking back 13 years ago and here we are in Lebanon and uh, do we we're talking about this and, and we're talking about what God did in our lives mm-hmm. and how God is working in other people's mm-hmm. lives. Yeah, so one of the, the strain, strains of Lebanese
0: history is the Palestinian refugees and during the civil war, to be to generalize, um, the Palestinians and the Lebanese Christians are certainly Maronites, which you would have been Maronite, right? Uh, Palestinians and Maronites were, were not friends. They were the enemies and there were massacres on both sides. Um,
1: so what happened when you walked into your new flat in Belfast? <laughs> yeah, so... Going to do the school, you know, like uh, not knowing like what to expect. The first thing happened is when I arrived to Belfast and uh, when Johnny took me... Uh, to, to to the flat that I'll be staying and then I met uh, George and George is from Palestine and the first thing is like like what we say in the, the say in Arabic is like someone drop on you like a cold water. Like like you like get this shiver suddenly that what's happening, why this guy is there, and all these feelings and all this like prejudice and discriminations and stereotypes everything starts to bubble inside of me and uh and like then I, like I like especially I know that I have to actually live with that enemy and I have to be in the same room with that enemy which I would I would consider him I like probably will not use the word enemy but there's something inside of me that there's like a wall there you know like like oof, I have to be very careful there you know like like he's Palestinian, you know, and and then when, when I start to understand why I'm acting out, I realized it's because of what ex- I experienced and also what I've been, uh, also because of my community, because in my community, yeah, I programmed to believe that the the main problem of our civil war is because of the Palestinians, and and that's that why, like, I will like I'll be like very cautious to be actually working with a Palestinian, but uh, through the school learning on forgiveness, God working so much in my heart, working so much in my thoughts, renewing my mind uh, and renewing my heart, and even and obviously the opportunity to be with George and see George, he is just another amazing human being. He's another person that he he have feelings. He looking for hope. He want to build a future. Uh, he want to have kids, have family, and in the end, we are just the same. You know, it's it's we are we are we are both of us are the child of God, children of God, and uh, and it's like like uh, like like what we say like like our eyes opened, you know, like my eyes opened to see a reality that I've been living a lie and I've been living this kind of prejudice and discrimination against these people and I realized there's so many people are doing the same back home. Yeah. Even even the church itself is doing the same at mm. home, back home. Mm. So mm. you
0: had to kind of be taken out of your environment to a foreign country to meet a Palestinian on a different soil and see actually his humanity and, the, and your shared humanity um, I want you, at the end of that first year you spent th- uh, two or three months in South Africa which is part of what we do we have a long-term partnership uh, in different parts of South Africa mainly KwaZulu-Natal and the Durban area we've offered nearly 30 scholarships to young Zulu South Africans um, and you had an experience there that was very formative for you tell me about that
1: yeah like uh like you said like I end up staying in Belfast for another five years and it just I didn't just stay in Belfast for another five years just because I felt like this is a nice place which it is a very nice place my second home but uh, it came out when I was in South Africa and it came out when I was sharing my story uh, in a school for an event that happened in South Africa which is, was very very painful and at that
0: I think that was the film massacre, maybe where a bunch of school kids were killed. Yes, right?
1: exactly. Yeah, and uh, and they were they were they were they were demonstrating for the right for education, and for me, like growing up in the civil war and hearing what happened, even though I was sharing my story of hope inside of me, there was this kind of struggle, this this kind of uh, pain that I wasn't able to just say it's okay anymore. And I remember going back uh, to where we were staying and being in my room, I just like wasn't able to uh, to be quiet anymore. So I started talking to God and I was actually very angry, very mad, and I was telling him like, I grew up in a civil war, people are suffering, people are dying, people using your name, you know, like like they put flags of cross, they put verses on the rockets and they killed the other people and then i went to northern ireland and also the people that they 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 hold his name on high and they sing songs for him they're the one are killing each other and then you go to, and then i went to south africa and i saw the same thing and obviously there's many things happening around the world and i was like okay god okay i know you are love but where are you in all this why is this these things still happening and uh, and I start crying because it was so painful. And I, and I had this deep sense of God telling me that he, His love is for every person. He wants every person to be with Him. The problem is that people are using my name. He told me, like, people are using my name, destroying my image, and uh, and creating wars. And I'm trying to find my peacemakers, and I can't find them, where are they? And would you be my peacemaker? And for me, when I like, 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 I don't say usually I hear God. You know, this is just one event that, like, like there was, I was so in, like, in tears and weeping about what is God's heart and what is the Father's heart for, for His people. And this is where I was like, yes, I want to be your peacemaker. I want to be the peacemaker you are looking for, and that's why the best thing was to start in being where I am in YWAM, uh, Northern Ireland in Belfast to learn how to be the peacemaker, especially why I've been doing that for, for a long, longer time. Yeah, so it was the sense that you felt
0: uh, God kind of coming in and saying, will you be my peacemaker? And you saying, yes, I'll, I will be. And um, I suppose that kind of you were answering a sense of hopelessness that you felt with a sense of I can do something. Um, after that, you spent another four years in Belfast and one of the projects that we were involved in that you've now continued over here was a partnership with the International Forgiveness Institute, which is where uh, Professor Robert Enright for a couple of a few decades now has been researching and writing and training people in, in forgiveness. Initially, he was looked down upon as this kind of w- weird Christian for studying forgiveness, but now more and more people all over the world are, are really engaging with the forgiveness word, even if they're not necessarily people of faith. Um, so uh, you were there for five years and doing some of that forgiveness work. What did you learn about forgiveness in that? And then we'll talk about Lebanon after.
1: Yeah, so like like first going into that course and, and, and applying the forgiveness journey, which we call it, uh, it really changed my life, you know. It opened up a lot of wounds and allowed God to bring a lot of healing into many things in the past. And uh, like my experience in the civil war, my experience with my family, my experience with my mom. So it went into, it, it was, it was helping me in every level because, like, my dad left my mom when I was 15 years old, and it, it was a very painful time. Even I, ha- even my brother left us when I was 15 years old in the middle of crisis, and my mom had a depression at that time, and she was suicidal. So for me, like, going into the forgiveness, it was a very painful process, but it really bring a lot of healing. And in my heart, I was like, like. If this is what happened to me, it will happen to others and it will impact others and I fall, I fall in love in the way we are actually learning about forgiveness because we know that forgiveness is good, we all say that, we all agree with that, there's no, there's nothing, there's no one, like, like most of people will say, yeah, forgiveness is good, it will help, but... The, how to forgive is the hard part, and what was amazing in this forgiveness journey is learning how to do this the tools that you can help you, how to manage your anger how to uh, how to react with the person that hurt you, how to ask questions and understand, and how to bring the best out of you and live out from that best self instead of choosing revenge and choosing uh to be bitter in it yeah, uh, yeah. and so so we and when I, when we were, when we start doing the project in Belfast we start going to different schools and we would start teaching the forgiveness journey and I'll be sharing my story back from the war and how I grow up and it, I was seeing the same impact that happened in my life people were able to be freed from things that happened in their own life it could be things small like friendship or it could be big things like having parents who are like the take drugs and that's really hard and they need to follow up and they needed that place where they can breathe out the, the, the struggles that are living in a way that that, that it helps them. And uh, the amazing thing, uh, we end up teaching in around 21 schools and then also those schools, they start taking the forgiveness and be, be, become part of their own curriculum so they can teach it even if we are not there. That's in Belfast. And which is, ama- which is amazing because that, then you're actually having a generation that is learning how to solve conflict and solve conflict in non-violent way and able to be freed from the painful things they experience in the world. Yeah, so there are like thousands of kids
0: now, probably it's been going in Belfast for about nearly 18 years. I, I think it's with the Robert Enright has been uh, facilitating forgiveness training in Belfast with kids. Um, so anyone under the age of 23, well, thousands of people under the age of 23 have gone through four, five, six, seven years of, uh, you know, every week being taught little things about forgiveness. Um, and it certainly makes a difference. Um, maybe we can talk to you, Rilla, uh, about your involvement in um, what you're doing now. So you, at the end of um, your time in Belfast, you were both married at that point. You had come for a short time, Rilla, and then you moved back here. Um, and after a couple of years you decided to found what what is now called the foundation for forgiveness and reconciliation um, you do more work in the schools over here in Lebanon and Rami does more work what do you do in youth groups and uh and other areas I guess so can you tell us um so why are you doing what you're doing what's what's the motivation for you we heard from Rami what is it for you
2: yeah um for me personally uh, in the beginning of our life i felt god is calling me for education to help kids to get educated to learn to know how to write how to read Uh, and rami's uh, calling is for peacemaking so i always kind of differentiate that like oh your calling is peacemaking my calling is education and each one is separate i couldn't see how this can come together but then after a while, um, when I start really to see the curriculum, I could see how much is important. Because coming back or going back to my childhood and raising uh, or get raised into a very broken family where there is lots of miscommunication, lots of anger, lots of... It's actually... I I carry this luggage or baggage with me from my parent and in my relationship with my husband um, there was lots of misunderstanding i couldn't really communicate in a better way i couldn't really express what i want uh, i couldn't really control my anger because i never knew how to do this and because i'm kind of like from the generation of a second trauma kind of like hearing from my parent what happened in the war and things like that uh, it left me affected as well. And so when I saw this curriculum that is about forgiveness, first I applied it to my personal life. But as well, I was like, it would be great for me and for my husband to know exactly how to to treat each other or like know how I can really uh, love my husband in a good way. And first know my value and inherent worth. and. Which actually, if we go to the curriculum, the first part of everything, and every grade is first to know, uh, like our inherent worth, our values, our identity, and then it goes into uh, the hurt that happened with us. Now, yeah, that's why I I found or like I discover how much is important uh, for me to first like kind of learn this and second to teach it. Um, I want my kids, I want other people, kids, I want every child in, in Lebanon basically to learn those things. We never learn, learned at school how to uh, first like about our identity. We never learned at school about how to manage a conflict because in Lebanon, oh, you have a conflict, just put it aside and continue. Uh, We never really talked about how I can communicate in a better way. We never, like, all the skills that it would actually raise strong people, uh, strong families, strong, uh, like, uh, strong, like, people in their job. Like, I think this is very uh, important and fun, like, very, very important for everyone to really learn this. And that's how, actually, we start. And what we're doing now is we took, yes, this curriculum that is uh, written by Dr. Robert and Wright. And uh, we're trying to adapt it to our culture because we're still in a Middle Eastern culture. And as well, we felt we can add, add, like, it's a journey. So like a journey of forgiveness. And at the end, kind of a journey of, I don't want to call it peacemaking because forgiveness is peacemaking, but as well more like life skill. So first, they the kids they will know their identity and the people other people worth, and second they know how to they how they can really forgive others like uh, and the people who hurt them, and third like third part that we added is kind of okay. Now how I can do to communicate and to listen better and to cooperate better, and to kind of solve problems, and that will help me all as a circle to really be able to arrive to reconciliation, or like solving problem, or conflict transformation for things. So um, yeah, and as I said, because I'm a second, like there's a lot of kids that they are the whole families like that been in Lebanon and went, went through a lot of war and a lot of things, like we carry a lot of hurt and lots of pain. So I think this curriculum help us to really unload those things, and in the same time, um, uh, like get a new uh, skills that help us move on and help us to grow in a healthy way where we can differentiate between what is the past that is hurtful and what is the past that is we shouldn't actually keep going with it and what's how we can release our future to mm. be a better future and to have really a better view for us and mm. for our society mm. and for our nation mm. and how as nation we can be witness mm. for other nations as well
0: mm. so yeah. that's basically uh, rami you were talking the other day when we were in um the downtown beirut uh like for those who haven't been here, uh, Beirut is, uh, you you will find parts of Beirut that are more wealthy and beautiful than prosperous than any city I've ever been in. You know, shopping malls that are amazing and designer shops from Milan and New York and all over, Ferraris, you know, Lamborghinis, like it was crazy. Some of those, that area, you know. Um, and then of course you go just a few blocks down the road and, and you come into a, a refugee camp or you know something that's a lot rougher and you made a comment about how in lebanon you you tend to kind of take these old bullet ridden buildings and just kind of put a, a surface over the top to make it look nice but the bullets are still there the the old and it kind of sums up a lot kind of what you're saying really about um in lebanon possibly it's not always so people don't want to have to deal with the past they, they just want to put a nice uh, surface on the top uh do you, do you want to touch on that,
1: Rami? Yeah, uh, part of uh, the city center of Beirut, where the hub is for like food and drinks and stuff like that, there's all those nice old buildings that have been destroyed by the civil war. And then, if you look closely, you can see that they 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 refurbish the outside and make it very nice, but the back of it, some places you can still that is still like it was during the civil war and and. Uh, it shows a deep sense of what has actually happened for us in Lebanon. Because when the civil war ended, there was there was nothing happened. No one came and started doing some work, how we co-op after such uh, 15 years of war. You know, it become taboo, it's like never happened. We don't speak about it and we are afraid to speak about it. And especially because at that time, it's true it ended like in 1990, but it didn't really end it because at that time Syria still occupied Lebanon and controlling it. And also Israel was occupying the south of Lebanon. So in a way, we were still in that war, but we were just disguising ourselves that everything will be fine. We just have to suck it up and keep going. Sorry, we have just to just to have to put it there. And then we have just to put a nice face and try our best to live. And what I find, the more I look into our community, we see how much our community is more broken because the holes are still there, and people are still afraid. And now we have another million refugees are from Syria, and everyone's thinking, are we gonna do what again? Are we gonna go back to what happened with the Palestinians? Yeah. There's this fear and resentment against them because the pain is still real and still there, mm. and that's what I so think. So unless they deal with the pain things are bound to come back up again yeah yeah and we can it, it, social media is one big example especially in, the, in in our days now that you can see really what's happening in people's lives if one person did a comment because he's a Syrian even if it was a good comment then other people they will just like like kill him with his words you know like they will use like bad words just because he's a Syrian uh, unfortunately like this Week one of my friend, his brother passed away, and I wasn't at his funeral, and uh, and I was like like sitting with him and seeing what happened and how we can help and all that. And my friend, he's Palestinian, uh, from the Palestinian camp here that we were working with, and he said, "Rami, I don't know how we can keep doing these things because, like, like my brother passed away." and they put it on the news because it was a car accident like someone like hit him. And then another Lebanese guy, he said, that's better one less Palestinian in the country. And this is a person that just just passed away and it's a grief time and it's a very sad time. And some people don't even understand the painful uh, moments that people are going through. And he put a comment like that, you know, mm. to show how much the things are still, it's like, still there. It's in still the there. Society. Yeah, exactly. So.
0: Um, uh, we could talk a lot more about a lot of all this stuff, um, but uh, I just I think what has made the news over the last few years has been the Syrian crisis and uh, refugees coming into Europe, fleeing across the Mediterranean. Um, and, of course, one, one and a half million Syrian refugees are in Lebanon. So Lebanon has a population of four and a half million, roughly. And, one, and it also has a population now of one and a half million Syrian refugees, which is a massive proportion of the overall population. Um, and in one sense, Lebanon has been incredibly hospitable to welcome these people. It's been amazing. Uh, but also because of the past... And because when Palestinians came, they formed camps and those camps became centers of power for the Palestinian militias to launch attacks. And so therefore, um, the Lebanese didn't want the Syrians to have kind of camps. So Syrians really are spread throughout Lebanon near here in banana fields. They're not allowed to work. They can uh, get a get a get paid a small, you know, work manual labor, basically. They can't get jobs as architects or doctors, or even if they were engineers, you know. So life is hard for the population. Um, but also you can understand from the Lebanese perspective, because it was the Syrian army that occupied Lebanon and was in charge for 15 years after the civil war. And I remember coming in 2001, there were Syrian soldiers everywhere. When you left the city, you had to go through a Syrian roadblock. And and so people here do not like the Syrians, you know, and that's their their background. So the kind of I don't want to call it an irony, but the fact that now Syria has descended into chaos and they are now coming for help um, is really turns things on its head. You know, from once being an occupying army to now being, uh, you know, refugees. So, Rula, you um, were involved in running a school for a while uh, for Syrian refugees. Um, Can are you able just to tell me maybe a couple of stories about how that helped? Actual people and um, what was what was some of the where were these kids coming from? What kind of backgrounds were, were Syrian refugees coming from?
2: Okay, so in two thousand and twelve we used to do like kids club and there was lots of kids coming that we were like, okay, let's write something like kind of responding to what we taught what we learned. Uh, and most of the Syrians didn't know how to write or how to read. And that was actually a, a heartbroken for many of us. And especially that because it was like a huge number of refugees coming to Lebanon. Like Lebanon wasn't ready to accept. Mm. Uh, like it didn't what, have the
0: infrastructure to yeah. suddenly provide schools for a million kids. Uh, That's yeah. right.
2: And so uh, in that, like we, I was with YWAM, Youth with a Mission in Lebanon that we call Generation for, uh, for a Message. G1, yes, Generation with a Message. And we decided that we want to start at least, like if it's not an official school, but at least let's start to have a safe place for these kids to come and learn. So we started that in 2012, and 50 kids came and registered. Those kids, they didn't know how to write, how to read. They lived in their houses, or they lived in their tent. All the time, maybe watching things happening in Syria. All the time, listening to what their parents—they were hopeless. They were like, uh, like broken, you know. Like, and especially hearing from parents leaving all their families, uh, leaving all their houses, leaving even like for them, leaving their toys. It was a big thing. So we start that. The first year they were 50. The second year, more people wanted to join because we wanted really to give them the best. So we turn it into more educational center that give really a good um, uh, teaching or like a, a really good education. And this, then the second year it raised to 100, maybe 20. The third year to the maximum 170. We couldn't. Um, we couldn't take any more. Yeah uh but the kids were like you can see them coming really wanted to learn they they wanted to come because they felt like it's a safe place people love them people accept them like in this school um, and really people cared for them so and now i know many of the kids they are because the, the educational center is for like certain age or like grade five many kids, they they finished, and they continue in uh, normal schools, and they are succeeding, which is great. And it's actually, especially if, okay, let's say, if we want to talk in a Middle Eastern mentality, education is so important. Education would make your value. That's Uh, kind of the mentality so if you are educated if you know how to write and read and you pass certain classes wow you're very good and your parents are good so most of the parents they really wanted a good future for their kids and 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 here it was like the space for them to come and to learn and this is give or this is gave hope not just for the kids they gave hope for the parent parents to feel like oh our kids are learning our kids they can have a future maybe not all the parents because some of them they're really like so much traumatized but most of the parents were actually feeling no like even though we are here we're thankful that there is a place where our kids can learn
0: yeah so i think you know when we've come here regularly for the last four or five years we've seen that school continue just year after year to to just make a way for it to happen they don't have a lot of funding they just they make it happen, and uh, it's it's inspirational for me. And I know, I mean, I've sat in the tents with refugee families and, and heard some of the stories I've heard, and kids that they know what the sound of a rocket is, you know, and they have seen soldiers, and, you know, Yasser, one of the guys today was saying when he f- drove up one day in a Jeep, everyone, all the kids ran away, they thought it was an army Jeep, you know, they've been traumatized by um, that. So I think what you did was amazing, Rula, so we're very... Uh, privileged to, to have seen it and to to see what you're doing um, maybe let's just kind of f- finish this up um, and maybe ask you Rami um, to to say a couple of things just to finish with about um, yeah I suppose what I've noticed and I don't want to say something bad about Lebanon but in most places of conflict there's not lots of people putting their hand up and saying I want to go and work with the our former enemy you know um, and so the average young Christian, culturally Christian, you know, ethnically Christian, the average young ethnically Christian, twenty-five-year-old is not saying, "I want to go and work in uh, with Palestinian refugees or with Iraqi refugees or Syrian refugees or 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 with Muslims or Jews or whatever." You know, they're saying, "We want to live in our area with our people that we know them, we trust them, and we'll have a good life, and we don't need to worry." And and but you are not doing that, and I think that's inspirational and i think and I hope you will be the first of well not the first, but you'll be one of the first of many many more Lebanese couples who see their faith as compelling them to reach out to the other side and um so w- what's your story in that, and where are you at today, and where do you see forgiveness and reconciliation
1: in in the Beirut of today and the lebanon of today yeah, so like uh like like you said, what we do is for a lot of people is either crazy or tra are traitors. We're working with the enemy, we're helping we're not just helping the Lebanese, we're helping many people, others and uh and it's hard, you know, like we cannot pretend and say, Oh, it's a nice thing that we're doing, we're working peace work." It's one of the hardest I, I, I think it's one of the hardest ministries and jobs that we can actually do. Uh because it's, you're going into people's life, you're going, you're hearing the stories, you're hearing their trauma, you're you're working, you're discipling the people, you're helping them to go through this, you're trying to provide their needs. If it was uh, like physical needs or emotional needs or uh, spiritual needs, you know, and, and it's not easy. But at, in the midst of all this, I know this is what we be meant to be, you know? Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for are they are called the children of God. And I know I am the child of God, so I know I am His peacemaker. And I know this is who we are. This is what we should be doing. We should actually love everyone. This is who is God. He looked to everyone and He loves them as they are. He didn't look to say, and He didn't look to the Samaritan woman like, no, you're Samaritan woman, I'm not gonna deal with you. Or, uh, or he looked to the Roman soldier as like, no, I'm not gonna uh, do a miracle with your daughter. No, he was just like, Jesus was just like loving everyone as it is. And, and we need to understand that Jesus came from the Middle East, well, mm-hmm. kind of. He, like like, like we, we understand this. We understand that we need to extend our, our love for everyone, no matter who, the, uh, who are they, and no matter uh, what are the situation, and no matter what people say about us. I think sometimes we get caught in that place where we don't do things anymore because it offends other people, and or other people will reject us. So we don't do anymore the right thing, uh, which is actually just loving everyone as they are. And the more we are doing this, the more I can see how much uh, what what God is actually want to do in our nation? You know, when we actually want what we want to see is God creating those peacemakers that are ready to love everyone a Syrian peacemaker, Palestinian peacemaker, Lebanese peacemakers, and they can continue this work. You know, and they can keep going in this path of just extending their love for everyone, unconditional love, the agape love, the true love, not love just because. Uh, just of, out of fear or out of uh, tradition or out of uh, uh, self, se- se- self, like make you feel, to make you feel good about it, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. really good. You could say,
0: well, I could, we could talk a lot all day about Lebanese history and current situation yeah. and theology. And, um, but I just want to say that we're so proud of what you guys are doing here. Um, and it's a real privilege to come and partner with you and so if people want to get involved Google um, Rami and Rula Taleb and the Foundation for Forgiveness and Reconciliation in Lebanon and you should find them somehow and uh, volunteer come and stay here for a little while work with them they need people if you want to help them financially they need that too so um thank you guys for all you're doing and it's a privilege to be with you
1: yeah thank you johnny